If you're looking for a podcast to give you the best recommendation for the type of motor oil to put in your car based on its year and mileage. Wow, that's specific. Yeah. And obscure. A little bit. Um, and this isn't that podcast. No. No, no not at no. all. No. This is, however, comedy. Tragedy. Marriage. marriage. Hello there. Welcome to Comedy Tragedy Marriage, the podcast where a longtime married couple gets together each episode selecting a movie, TV show, or podcast to watch. We watch it together and then we sit down and discuss it like about why we liked it, loved it, or loathed it. And then we share that conversation with you. I'm Stan the Movie Man. I review films on occasion at StanTheMovieMan.com. You can follow me on Twitter for as long as, or X, as long as that platform continues to exist, uh, at MovieManStan. You can also follow me on Threads and on Spoutable, because nobody will send me a uh, invite code for Blue Sky. Anyway. Rare. I know. Uh, you can fi- follow me on those other two platforms at Stan the Movie Man. You can follow the podcast on X at CT Marriage. If you have a suggestion for something you'd like us to watch, you can send that to us in an email. Uh, send what it is you want us to watch and why you think we should watch it to comedy tragedy marriage at gmail.com. Joining me, as always, is. The sole reason I have for getting up in the morning, even though I got up an hour late today, she was the reason. My other half. I was the reason you got up late? No. Oh, no, uh uh-uh. No, you were the reason I got up. How come? I didn't holler at you. I should have hollered at you. I I feel bad that you overslept. It was... I'm getting... I'm providing a ridiculous example of why you're important to me. Oh. You see? I mean, aside from the fact that you're the love of my life and Aww, you're my wife. That's sweet. Uh, and I'm being purposefully obtuse to needle you. I think you are. Yeah. My other half. Maud, the purposefully needling broad. Okay. Which has nothing to do with this week's movie title. Nothing whatsoever. No. It was my choice this week, and I had talked about this movie uh, several episodes back when we were discussing the film Banshees of Inisherin, because the writer and director of that film is also the writer and director and one of the producers of this film, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, that writer-director is uh, Martin McDonough, And the movie stars Frances McDormand, Woody Harrelson, Sam Rockwell, John Hawks, Peter Dinklage, uh, and Lucas Hedges, Caleb Landry-Jones, and more. It is uh, the story of a woman who is dealing with an enormous amount of grief and anger. Um, Mildred Hayes, played by Frances McDormand, is... uh, uh, dealing with this grief and anger after her teenage daughter, Angela, whom we only see in a small flashback, but she's played by Catherine Newton, 
was raped and burned to death less than a mile from her home. Dissatisfied with the lack of progress in her daughter's case after nearly a year, Mildred approaches the owner of the local outside advertising company, Red Welby, played by Caleb Landry Jones, about buying three billboards on the road where her daughter's body was found with the following message. Raped while dying appears on one, and still no arrests appears on the second one. How come, Chief Willoughby? Uh, naturally, the billboards create quite a stink around Ebbing, Missouri. Police Chief Bill Willoughby, played by Woody Harrelson, visits Mildred and explains there are no witnesses and the DNA found at the scene doesn't match anyone in the national database. Unsatisfied with that answer, Mildred intends on keeping the billboards up for a year, despite Willoughby's revealing he has terminal cancer. Officer Jason Dixon, played by Sam Rockwell, is also upset by the billboards, but he plans on taking a more direct approach, harassing anyone associated with Mildred, including Red and Mildred's employer. Undaunted, including Red and Mildred's employer. Uh, undaunted, Mildred intends on continuing her advertising campaign despite the public pressure, as well as complaints uh, of her son, Lucas, play, uh, Robbie, rather, played by Lucas Hedges, and ex-husband Charlie, played by John Hawks. Um, I sung the praises of this film when we were watching uh, Banshees of Inishirin, and uh, I always knew we were going to watch it for the show, but uh, I it just sort of flittered out of my mind while we watched other crap like Crack in the World. Um, oh, it wasn't crap exactly. It well, was it was kind of crap. It, it was dated crap. It was kitsch. You, oh, I don't, well, I anyway. don't know if I'm using kitsch properly, but uh, it was it was different. Yeah, uh, but this film had a ra rather powerful effect on me when I saw it the first time in the theater. Uh, and if you don't mind, I'm going to read you a little bit from the review I wrote for it that you can see on StandTheMovieMan.com. Oh. Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri is a deceptively complex film. There are various layers of story that must be peeled back to reveal the core of the narrative. It is a movie that requires patience as it reveals itself to be something other than the status quo. It isn't strictly a black comedy, although there are things about it that are funny. Uh, it isn't just a whodunit, a domestic drama, or a thriller. It's a combination of all those genres with a little something extra thrown in that's difficult to identify until you realize the obvious. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri is life. Wow. Okay. Because life does not clean up nice all the time. No, it doesn't. It's full of um, mess and slogging through mess and loose ends that will never tie up because mm -hmm. the more you try to tie them the more they fray mm -hmm. um yeah so remind me when this film came out 2017 okay that's ish i was kind of thinking that era at, at at the uh it was released in the united states at the end of 2017 okay um november ish or somewhere around okay. there um, and it would have been the kind of film that played in your art houses in smaller communities like where we live mm -hmm. 
or you know in a limited number of theaters uh you know in bigger cities yeah it's not your holiday blockbuster not by any stretch of the imagination it, it's it's a painful movie at times because not only is a horrific crime at the center of it but the aftermath of that crime and the aftermath of, of the, the aftermath, aftermath yeah uh the 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 layer upon layer of of poop sandwich that uh is you have to get through uh as mildred stirs the pot with these billboards mm -hmm. uh as those around her react universally negatively uh, to the billboards. To the billboards. The actions taken against her by uh, those I around her, including a dentist who is, it looks like going to torture her to take the billboards down. Yeah. Uh, at least that's the implication. Yeah. Um, and the physical violence that follows... Um, both actual and threatened uh, as these billboards are up and more people see them and uh, it, it gets a, a TV uh, news story, local mm -hmm. TV news story um, uh, that just makes, just spreads it that much further. Um, it's, it's a challenging film. It is, um, but it brings to light. I mean, for me, one of the one of the takeaways was: um, don't think that just because you're one person, you can't make a difference. Preacher talked about that on Sunday, and then we watched this movie, and I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe, maybe I'm making a difference somewhere in my little corner of the universe. Um, but seriously. Um, the ripple effect of one event and then the ripple effect of the actions of the mother, um, that ripple went a long way in this community. Mm -hmm. um, for better and for worse. Mm -hmm. um, there are some moments in this film. I mean, like, I knew you liked this movie. Yes. You had talked about it to me before. Yes. Um, obviously, Frances McDormand, I mean, we're, we love her. Yes. No, no secret about that at all. Um, but there were moments in this film that I, I was audibly devastated. And, I mean, like, I remember saying, well, you know, insert cuss word here um <laughs> at one point particularly and i'm not going to spoil it because you know yeah. i don't want to spoil it but yeah. there there were several moments where i was just like well what's that about or are we going to play like this really uh, yeah. that particular moment that you're talking about yeah, yeah and you know the one i'm talking about was watching it in the theater it was like what is he doing? What just happened? What, what is he, what is he, oh, that's what he's doing. 
Yeah. Um, be because it kind of comes out of left field. Yeah, it was. And it still makes sense. It was unexpected, but it makes perfect sense. Yes. Um, so, you know, and let's go. Let's go back to Frances McDormand, whom we love. She makes pretty much every movie she's in better. Uh, you know the effect that she had on me uh, when we saw when we watched Nomadland and and talked about it on the podcast. Oh yeah, you cried like a girl. I I did. I broke down during the discussion of that film. Unashamedly, it's okay. Yeah, I was a little ashamed, but well, I wasn't ashamed. I was proud. Uh, but yeah, she is so good, and it doesn't matter how big or small the part she's in. Uh, she makes an effect. I use this phrase a lot. She's one of those actors who elevates anything she touches. Um, she is in Hail Caesar, which we just watched for fun on Netflix, which is a Coen Brothers movie about um, 40s, 50s Hollywood. Mm -hmm. um, and she's in the film for maybe 90 seconds. Hmm. She plays a film editor who is nearly killed when her scarf gets caught in the uh, moviola, mm -hmm. the thing that they used to cut. Yeah, uh, they uh, made their edits, their and slices. And she, she constantly is smoking through that, that one scene in a room filled with celluloid, which is famously flammable. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, you know, she, that scene is, for me, probably one of the more memorable uh, scenes. Yeah. Uh, while I didn't love that film the first time I saw it, I appreciated it more the second time. Uh, you know, of course, I think we most of us became aware of her in Fargo, uh, yeah. playing the very pregnant sheriff deputy, or sheriff, um, who is um, finds herself in the middle of a kidnapping and murder case. Um, and, and that movie is just an enormous amount of fun, aside from being rather grisly at times. Mm, yeah. Um. Wood chipper anyone? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, pretty much anything else that she is in that I have seen has been like, oh, Frances McDormand's in this. Good. Yeah. Uh, but. There are, there are a number of actors who, um, who affect me that way. And, like, I will see their name attached to a project. And mm -hmm. It's like, oh, okay, I'm there for it. Um, and yeah. she's, she's turning into one of those. Now, uh, there are a lot of very good actors in this movie. Um, Sam Rockwell. Sam the, Rockwell. The Sam who can act. <laughs> He's not as pretty as the other one, but he acts better. Yeah, Worthington. You he's, famously call Worthington just a face. He's a, he's pretty. Well, he, he's pretty. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sam Rockwell, however, portrays an utterly despisable, despicable. For most of the film, irredeemable. For most of the film, yes, un, um, irredeemable. Um, but then, surprise. Well, he gets a letter from somebody he respects. Yeah. And it makes a difference. And it makes a difference right before he is burned in a fire. One again, one one person making a difference yeah. because this person corresponds with a number of the other characters mm -hmm. um, in the film. And each time there's a correspondence, there's a 
there's a change that happens. So um, again, a big takeaway was one person's one person can make a difference. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, Sam Sam Rockwell just failure to launch allegedly we think from the beginning we find out that that failure to launch is actually um a little bit not the situation that we thought it was yeah he he still lives at home with his mother he still lives with his chain smoking drinking um terrifying mama and and rockwell's dixon is a racist yeah and and he enjoys abusing his power and he he's drunk and he's a drunk um but despite that uh his boss woody harrelson um willoughby willoughby sees that there's good in him deep 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 down down. but Um, he does he sees potential and um, th- this letter that he reads uh, that apparently gives him the impetus to turn around uh, w- the way he's doing things, that and the fact that he winds up burned in a hospital, um, it's, it says something along the lines of, um, you know, you have to be able to love in order to be a good detective and and you've got that in you you just have to get everything else out of the way yeah or words to that effect it's not even really close but um you know it's a this 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 film is a little miracle as far as I'm concerned, because there is no bad performance in it. No, the only the only ding I can give it at this point, as far as that is concerned, is that another one of my favorite character actors, um, Joko Ivanic, mm-hmm. his role needed to be bigger. I I I wanted more of him, just because I know what he can do, and I would have liked to have seen him do more of his thing. Yes. But there are only so many primary characters you can have in, in, in a movie that has an ensemble this big. Yeah. And, and you've got... And I don't blame him for signing on for it because, hello, Francis McDormand. Hello, Martin McDonough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you've got three primary characters who do most of... The heavy the, lifting. The narrative work. Um, and... But everybody, everybody who's in it even you know Caleb Landry Jones who is just this kid who runs this billboard uh, business who does not know what he's doing another really important scene though Mm -hmm. um, in the hospital yeah where he chooses to do a good thing and make a difference. Yes. When when he could have just as easily um, finished the job that someone else had started on uh, on Deputy Dog. Yeah. Uh, Dixon. Dixon. Uh, an event occurs that makes people very sad and angry. 
and part of that anger is aimed at not only Mildred because she bought the billboards, but um, the character. The billboard vendor. The billboard the vendor. The advertising agency guy. So Dixon goes to his office, which is across the street from the police station, and uh, beats him up, beats him to within an inch of his life. And then throws then him throws out the window. Him, yeah, throws him out a second story window. Yeah. And then when he's laying prone in the street, bleeding and with probably at least one broken limb. Some stuff limb, broken, yeah. Um, he continue. He kicks him, and he he continues to beat on him. Um, but then after Dixon is burned in a fire set by Mildred, uh, at the police station. Um, he they're goes put to in the, the same room. Yeah, out of all the. Out and, of all the hospital rooms and all the hospitals in all the world, you show up in mine. Well, Ebbing, Missouri is a fictional town, so it's probably not real big. Well, but it's it's a plot device. And yes. It was brilliantly played. Yes. And, uh, yeah, they're in the same room. They get put in the same room. Uh, Dixon is all wrapped in bandages. His face is... Unidentifiable, yeah. So he has to identify himself to uh, Caleb Landry Jones and um, I mean that that reaction to seeing I mean he comes over first and says you want some orange juice uh, you know you look you, you look like you could use some orange juice Caleb Landry Jones does Welby Welby and and then Dixon begins to cry and says I'm sorry for what I did to you, for throwing you out that second story window yeah. and then uh, Welby's reaction to it to, to that realization of who's in the room with him and and then after the initial shock wears off he brings over the orange juice and pours him a glass and puts the bendy straw in it He's not going to help him drink it, but <laughs> at but least it's still, there. He still did the good thing. He did. He was the larger person. It, there are so many little... And that was a devastating moment yeah. for me. There are so many little moments in mm -hmm. this movie. Both um, sweet and also incredibly bitter. Mm -hmm. That flashback to the daughter... Oh, gosh. Uh, the night that she is killed, leaving the house after getting in an argument with her mother, and her the, the girl says, I hope I get raped as I'm walking to wherever I'm walking because he, she wouldn't... Uh, let her borrow the car. Let her borrow the car. And the mother says, yeah, I hope you get raped too, which is what happens. And that's the last conversation that they have is yeah. that argument. Yeah. And you know living with the guilt of that I you can't imagine yeah it is I cannot say enough good things about this movie it is overwhelming how good it is I can't believe it only has a 90 on Rotten Tomatoes that's surprising uh, you know uh, Frances McDormand won the best actress Oscar for this role 
and Sam Rockwell won the Best Supporting Actor uh, Oscar. Good for them. For this role. I had also won various other BAFTAs and Golden Globes and... and SAGs, and, probably. Uh, I'm sure. And, and various other awards. Um, it is... Like I said, it's a small miracle. Of course, this is pre-pandemic. So these kinds of movies were still being made. The little stories with a low to medium budget um, and given the chance to find its audience or the audience to find it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once it was clear that people were really enjoying the film it got a wider distribution mm -hmm. um but you, there aren't that many of these movies being made anymore sure there are plenty of art house movies that get made but they don't quite have the pedigree that that this film has with this cast and 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 uh, Martin McDonough, mm -hmm. although he did Banshees of Inisherin, which is a similar size film. Uh, but, you know, by then everybody knew what he could do. Yeah, so and, he's developing his following. Right. And it, uh, you know, that kind of film gets a lot more support from the studio than something like uh, Three Billboards, Three Billboards got. Until it proved itself to be popular. And then it was like, oh, well, all hands on deck. Let's do an Oscar campaign. Mm, yeah. Um, well, uh, timing is everything. Yeah, well, and, yeah, it came out at the end of the year. And, well, I mean, just timing um, with regard to, I mean, like how, how many films has Martin McDonough made? How long has he been doing this? Um well, I think as of now, he's directed five movies, five feature-length films. Okay, so 2017 was earlier in his career. Um, I'm guessing. I mean, I, I don't I mean, we discussed this before this. Uh, as far as... Because, like, three of his four movies have been nominated for Best, best Picture. Um, and, you know, he's... He's um, something of a wonderkind. Yeah. But I don't know how much of a kin he is. You know, how young, how early in his career um, Three Billboards fell. Uh, it was the film, the last film before Banshees of Inish Sharon. Okay. Right. He has done four major films. Okay, and they are in order. In Bruges, which we watched which for this we podcast. Which we watched, yes. Seven Psychopaths. Which, which we haven't watched together. We haven't, but that's the one I'm the least favorable of. Sophomore Curse, maybe? Uh, maybe. Then Three Billboards and then uh, Banshees. I don't remember from In Bruges, and I haven't seen Seven Psychopaths, so I don't know. But the two that I have seen, Fire plays a, a prominent role. And yes. I was going to ask you if... if if fire is a thing with Martin McDonough, do I don't the think other so. two uh, in Bruges? I don't remember if there was fire. Uh, there wasn't a fire that played a significant part in the plot. Yeah. Um, and Seven Psychopaths, 
I have very little recollection of. Okay. Um, well, we may have to give that a looky-loo just for grins and giggles. Well, and it, it's one of the ones that I've reviewed. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember it being, I saying something along the lines of it was a title in search, a good title in search of a good movie. Um, and it didn't find it. Ooh. Or words to that effect. Um, it, 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 it wants to be something outrageous and goofy and and violent, and it's violent, and it is oh, cracking my knuckles. Sorry, it is goofy to some extent. It's just not, just didn't hit me. Not as quirky as it would uh, like to uh, be. Yes, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it, it's got a, a great cast, um, but. I just don't, it just didn't work for me. Okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, what, I, we've pretty much given away our ratings, but what, uh, is there anything else about the film that uh, you wanted to talk about? Um, I would like to see more of Jelko Avonik pretty much in anything. Mm -hmm. um, and I would like to see him do like a supporting kind of role in another Martin McDonough endeavor because I think that that would be an interesting um, an interesting dynamic between writer slash director and actor mm -hmm. so um, but as for the film I loved it mm. it busted me up in places and um the the biggest bust up for me well i uh, there was more than one but um i don't want to give anything away um but there's there are moments where i felt like my guts had been torn out mm -hmm. in a good way i mean it was painful but um, in a good way just because it was so effective and so um, meaningful in advancing the narrative of the story and um, 11 T billboards <laughs> all with profanity on them uh, oh yeah that, that is one thing about this film it, it is filled with profanity well I mean the, none of Martin McDonough's stuff that I've seen is you know meant for kids anyway so yes. but yeah there's there's cursing and there's violence and it's not for kids yeah um so that's something to consider if you're going to watch it we streamed it on uh apple movies so uh and if i may please do uh i would uh like to read the last paragraph of my review sure it isn't often that a film can take what could have been a simple and boring story and throw in enough twists and unusual choices to turn it into a fascinating movie that demands your attention. Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri is just that film, with a multi-layered story, three fascinating primary characters, and a cast that combines to deliver several amazing performances. Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri is the perfect film. I cannot recommend it highly enough. And I give it five stars. It is, it is 
I believe, about as close to perfect as a movie can get. Um, and you got to watch it. I'm sorry, you just have to. It, oh, I agree. It, I mean, if all you watch are, you know, action movies, Fast and Furious and, and uh, cartoon, you know, comic book movies, uh, or, you know, whatever, you know, action movies of the 90s, I don't know. Uh, yeah, you're probably not going to like it because it's a movie that demands you pay attention. It. It's going to make you think. It is, it, and it's uh, it's the kind of movie that, while you're paying attention, grabs you by the collar and says, pay attention. This is important. Yeah. And it's it's just an absolutely beautiful film. It, beautiful in, in that um, much of it is, so not, ugly. is not beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it, there's... There are some ugly characters in it. Even Frances McDormand's character is a a broken, flawed, uh, very uh, stubborn, kind uh, of strident, strident at, at places. Uh, sort of laser beam focused on one thing, which is understandable. Yeah, but at the same time, can tolerate no dissent no and screw you if you get in my way exactly uh otherwise you may get a dental drill through your thumb or you may get you know burned up or you might get firebombed uh but you know i just i'm just in awe of how good this movie is and i love it so hmm. and i need to watch it more than once every six years okay uh, it is because it's it's also a class in filmmaking. I mean, if you want to watch a, a film that deceptive, it looks deceptively simple, but it is not. In how how the characters are, are filmed, how um, the use of um, camera angles and shadows, and and you know just the very what looked like mid-70s decor of Mildred's house. Oh, yeah. Um, and Not to mention that dump that uh, Dixon lives in with Mama. Yeah, and, and that restaurant that um, they go to for their date. Um, Peter Dinklage, okay, let's talk about this guy for a second. <laughs> he steals every scene he's in in anything thing I've ever seen him in. Mm -hmm. He just does it. He is a dwarf bandit and he is a scene stealing phenom and I just adore him and I wish that he was taller just because I can't get enough of him. <laughs> I just uh, love him. Yeah, there, there's a scene in this what is supposed to be the nicest restaurant in town that um, uh, looks like it also is from the 70s. Yeah. Uh, with a lot of dark paneling and red leather. and I'm and thinking like, you know, uh, a lowbrow sort of Jolly Ox kind of situation. Mm. Do you remember the spots for Jolly Ox that used to air back I, in the day? I never went there, so... I never went there either. But it, it, is, it is like an old-style steakhouse. 
I, I, you know, what would have been high end in the 70s and 80s that in is Ebbing, Missouri, in, well, or pretty much anywhere else, because uh, you uh, we went to uh, Captain Dave's in Panama City, mm -hmm. which is not exactly what I'm talking about, but you know, if everything from the tables that look they were look like they were made out of doors taken off of a ship mm -hmm. uh and then laminate or lacquered and and sealed in in this thick uh see-through plastic and and um uh, just just all of it like regus in some ways except regus i think kept up with the decor um regus really was classy this yeah. place looked like it was trying to be classy yeah yeah, it's it's like that. We rewatched it recently. The chess player who murders his opponent. Yeah. In Colombo. That place. That place. Uh, if you. Where it, they got escargots. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but Colombo eats them. Ugh. Yeah, I don't get I, it either. I'm just don't pick at that. It's going it's to get infected and fall off. Yeah, well, uh, okay. Stan's got a bug bite or yeah, hair something. or something. It's, I think it's a bug bite. I'll put the magic sap on okay, it. Okay, you do that. But, uh, but yes. It's uh, one of these it's dark, ill-lit... Um, supposed to be romantic. But it just looks kind of run down and sad. Yeah. Much like the rest of Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah. Which, once again, does not exist. Oh, by the way... Um, McDonough got the idea for this film mm -hmm. when he was driving through Texas. What he was doing driving through Texas, I couldn't tell you. But he was driving through Texas, and he saw uh, some billboards similar to, with a similar message yeah. to what's on, on yeah, these. Yeah, it's been done. Where, um, and he doesn't know who bought them, but he assumed it was the mother of the woman who was killed allegedly at least as far as the billboards were concerned by her husband mm -hmm. but it was still an unsolved murder um and from that spun the tale came came the movie um i i i warned people on twitter or actually the um comedy tragedy marriage uh x account warned people on Twitter to put on a poncho because I was going to gush all over this film and it's true I it is well, it if is you love something it's a big deal it is a minor miracle it exists by the way it made a ton of money oh good um it uh, had a budget of um where'd it go where'd it go I don't know well, let's go. Oh, it's because I'm on Martin McDonough's. Here we go. Uh, it had a budget of twelve to fifteen million dollars. Oh, which is not much. Which isn't much by today's dollars. It made worldwide one hundred sixty-two point nine million dollars. Decent. <laughs> Better than decent. Yeah. Plus, it got our four dollars. Uh, for and uh, our, I know how long I have to work to make four dollars. <laughs> so longer than you would hope. Well, you know. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a fantastic film that everybody should watch, and um, except kids, except children, grown ups, yes, uh, it is it is amazing. So 
please, if if you don't mind traveling outside your comfort zone, give Three Bullboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, a, a shot. It is it's 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 a fantastic movie. It really is. What else have you been watching, listening to, reading, so on and so forth? Okay, let me pull up my handy dandy smart um, smart computer, and. Um, Do a little. Uh, okay. Do a little bit of uh, monkeying around. All right. So we are familiar with the um, the saga of the Sackler family and OxyContin and Purdue Pharma and their meteoric rise to obscene wealth by hook or by crook or by overdose. And um, the opioid crisis. The opioid crisis as we know it today. Um, a couple of years ago, you and I watched the eight part limited series on Hulu starring Michael Keatlin, uh, Michael, <laughs> Michael Keaton, Caitlin Dever, <laughs> oh, excuse it. me. I'm so sorry. That snuck up out of nowhere. Um, called Dope Sick. Called Dope Sick, based on the book of the same name. And we also, prior to that, had watched The Crime of the Century, an HBO two or three part documentary a, about a, the same a thing. A real documentary. Yeah, or an actual documentary. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dope Sick was based on a book, and um, it was. Um, fictionalized stories yes. based around the um, the Sackler saga and um, all of that. So on Netflix this past week, um, I streamed another treatment of the Sackler situation called Painkiller, um, starring Matthew Broderick as um, Dr. Richard Sackler, who was the brainchild behind um, OxyContin, which was a tweaking of a formula for a drug that the um, that they already had in production called MS-Contin, which was um, pretty much exclusively for end-stage cancer patients to control their pain. Um, Clark Gregg shows up as Uncle Arthur Sackler, who was the king of the generation prior to Richard Sackler and Mortimer and, and uh, you know, the, the next generation down. Um, he shows up in flashbacks throughout all six of the episodes. In the very first part of the first episode, we see him as an old man um, as he drives himself to the hospital having a heart attack and he croaks. But the rest of the time we see him in flashback. Um, is it flashback or is it like fantasy segments? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more that. Yeah. It's actually, um, it's it's Richard Sackler kind of going off the beam. Yeah, he, he's hallucinating, although I don't know that is what, he has conversations with his uncle. Um, but he's not there because he's dead. Yes. Um, and in these conversations, we also hear a smoke detector alarm beeping mm. and going off like, and that's like a motif that that connects the two throughout the six episodes of this um, series it's like it needs the battery replaced yeah and it's driving Richard Sackler crazy oh no he was already there well according to this treatment yes um, I love Matthew Broderick 
Um, Clark Gregg is awesome. I have I have been aware of him since New Adventures of Old Christine, mm -hmm. and um, you know now he's doing the whole superhero thing. He's not in them that much, though, right? Well, now. he he was more so earlier. Well, yeah, he was uh, he was the star of Agents of Shield. Exactly. Yeah. Um, as Coulson, he he also is. Uh, he's been in some of the movies in small parts. Yeah. And then you know. And, and I'm sure he's doing other stuff too. Oh well, yeah, he also writes and directs movies. Oh, huh, interesting. Um, anyway, I could not help but compare Painkiller with Dope Sick. Mm -hmm. And um, Painkiller was interesting. Dope Sick seemed to go a lot deeper into into the story, into the. Um, the both both series have basically the story of one character who gets a back injury and um, their fall from um, I'm you know recovering from this injury and you know their eventual um, horrible pathetic slobbering addiction. Mm -hmm. um, and um, painkiller just seemed to me, while an interesting take on on the thing and um, a different portrayal of the character of Richard Sackler, particularly, he was he was not portrayed to be as much um, like on the spectrum, perhaps, as the Hulu treatment was. Um, Matthew Broderick's portrayal and the way that this was written, Painkiller, he's more just like not quite in touch with reality. Mm -hmm. um, well, and I thought the Painkiller or the uh, the the dope sick version of Sackler was more menacing. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. And whereas this one, he's sort of just goofy. Um, it, it, ineffectual, sort of, um, you know, greedy, but not, um, not like stick a knife in your neck, greedy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it just, it was an interesting contrast, and um, it was, I didn't intend to binge the whole thing in one night, but I ended up binging the whole thing in one night, and I'm not sorry I watched it, I'm mm -hmm, glad I watched mm -hmm. it. Um, it was, it was cool, it was different, so, um... It's on Netflix. You can stream it there, and um, I it's worth the watch. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if you really want to spend an interesting Labor Day weekend, watch Dope Sick and Painkiller. Compare and contrast and discuss amongst yourselves. And just as an aperitif, watch Crime of the Century on HBO Max. The, or Max, the actual documentary. The actual documentary. One, one of uh, probably more than. Yeah. Um, but that's the one that we watched first um, before either Dope Sick or Painkiller came out. Mm -hmm. um, and. It'll dope, make you mad. It will. It will make you furious. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was recently, I think the Supreme Court turned down the. Uh, class action settlement for the Sacklers uh, because 
It prevented them from ever facing any lawsuits ever again over OxyContin. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I think I remember reading that. Yeah, you or at least have. a headline. But yeah, I, I think it's it's not quite over. Oh no, yet. it's not over. Yeah. Well, the legal action. Yeah. Uh, the the pain and suffering will probably go on for uh, decades or more. That'll ripple into yeah. Yeah. It, a long time to come. It is. It is pretty horrendous. Anything yep. else? Um, I read, am. You've been plowing through a book. Uh, yes, I am. Probably three quarters of the way now through Barbara Kingsolver's *The Poisonwood Bible*. Um, it came out in 1998, and again, I'm very late to the party here. Um, it's one of her best-known works until she won the the Pulitzer earlier this year for *Demon Copper*. Demon Copperhead, yes, um, which is sort of an Appalachianized modern day version of Charles Dickens' David Copperfield. Um, it's that kind of reimagining of that story. Mm. Um, anyway, um, Poisonwood Bible is the story of a missionary family in um, the Belgian Congo. Um, it begins in 1959, and um, shortly thereafter, um, the Congo. Um, declares its independence and um, all hell starts to break loose from then. Um, missionaries are urged very strongly to get out of Congo uh, while this political upheaval is brewing. Um, Nathan Price um, decides, no, not so much. We are suffering for the Lord here and um, keeps his family there and suffer for the Lord they do in a number of different ways. Um, the story is told through a series of vignettes by the, the main characters um, of the family. Oddly, we never hear from the preacher, but we hear um, from the wife and from each of the four daughters. And that's what the whole book has been. It's just been a series of vignettes from each of, of the characters relating pieces of the story. And the more they relate pieces of the story, the more layers of the onion get peeled back. Mm. And it's been, abs I have been blazing a trail through this book. It's wonderful. It's um, disturbing and maddening and beautiful and um, very intricately woven. Tons and tons of research um, went into this by the author. Um, and it's it's glorious and I'm you know now I'm like 75% of the way through and I'm like oh god what am I gonna read next um, you'll find something I will I've, I've got my to be reads and then I've got my to be read reads again um, but yeah um, the Poisonwood Bible is excellent and if you haven't read it if you're late to the party like I am um, it might be something that would be something enjoyable for you if you're a reader okay. and if you like um if you like like historical literary fiction anything so, else um no that's pretty much the highlights okay the, really the only new thing that i uh w watched in this week has been ahsoka on disney plus uh, it is following that character who was originally introduced in uh, Clone Wars, uh, the animated series, and then also brought in uh, on the series uh, Rebels, 
Um, and now this is sort of, this seeds, at least the two episodes I've seen, have sort of been a, a uh, just a continuation of the last season of Star Wars Rebels. Um, and, you know, the, the Empire has fallen, um, and uh, Ahsoka is sort of just, she gets sent on a mission to find a map. And that map is uh, said to provide the location of Grand Admiral Thrawn, who uh, sort of was one of the chief tacticians during uh, the, uh, the war against the rebels. Um, he's he's cold-blooded. Uh, he's going to be played by uh, Lars Mickelson, Mad Mickelson's brother. Yeah, they're both weird-looking. Well, but you know who they are when you see them. Oh yeah, uh, and you know he'll be blue like he like <laughs> the character, and they have a lot of the voice people, or at least the actors, well-known actors. Uh, playing some of the voice, who played the voice parts, uh, playing uh, their live-action characters. Oh, cool! Clancy Brown was a voice of a, a governor of a of a world, um, and and he played that same character uh, in an episode of Ahsoka. Uh, they've and and uh, Lars Mikkelsen was the voice of. Grand Admiral Thrawn, okay. and he has somewhat of a resemblance to that character, so he's he's going to be playing that part. Um, you know, it's Star Wars, so naturally I'm predisposed to like it. Um, there's some sort of deep mystery. Uh, there's also uh, another character who disappeared with uh, with Grand Admiral Thrawn at the end of Rebels, who they are also looking for, um, who was one of the Rebels, a, guy, a young Jedi in training named Ezra, um, and he was on the same ship that Thrawn was on when, it, when they disappeared, and um, there's, there's kind of looking for him, and they have cast a live-action Ezra, uh, because you see him in a hologram, whether that person ever shows up again um, remains to be seen. Yes. So I, they went to the trouble to cast this actor for that part. So pretty sure we'll eventually uh, see him sometime. But I don't know that for certain. Cool. Um, so you're liking it so I, far? Of the two episodes that they've released, and the third one is actually out now, um, Yes, I have enjoyed what I've seen so far, and uh, we'll we'll see how it goes from there. Okay. So, uh, I, at least what I've seen so far, I've enjoyed Ahsoka on Disney+. Plus. Anything else? Nope. Okay, nothing else for me either. Thank you all very much for listening to this edition of Comedy Tragedy Marriage. We appreciate it. Uh, please follow us on Spotify. That helps us out the most, but give us a... Uh, subscribe, like, rate, review, wherever it is you get podcasts. Uh, you can send us an email with a suggestion for something for us to watch. Mm -hmm. Send that to comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com. 
Uh, I'm Stan the Movie Man. That's Maude the Movie Broad. Love you. Love you. And until next time. Later. later.